0: Good morning everyone. My name is Chris, uh, senior pastor here at Trinity and so glad you're here. I want to say just something about a fullness in, in the room. We're, we're full, uh, at, at nine and eleven and, and there's a little more room at night. We've actually, our night service is growing in a, in a really cool way. We've had to move it out of the chapel back into here using those um, curtains that you don't see behind you, but are there about halfway back in the room. And so I just want to say, if you want a little more elbow room, um, our 6 p.m. service is identical to to the morning, um, and there are fewer children running around. So if you've got, if you're one of those people with a 100 kids, don't come at night. Uh, but if you don't, and maybe kids make you feel uncomfortable, then nighttime is awesome. It's a perfect time to come to church. And just to give you a heads up, in the coming um, months we 're going to be talking about um, finishing the the expansion of this building we 've got a couple of unfinished spaces. And our leadership team is is working behind the scenes with architects to uh, see what does it mean for us to expand our sanctuary and our kids rooms and to really kind of finish this this two building process. So um, fullness is a real thing, and, and answers in terms of how we're going to speak to that are actually uh, forthcoming. They're on the way, and we're really excited about what God's doing. Before I read in Matthew four, I want to celebrate two things. Uh, a number of years ago when I was finishing my, my doctoral studies at Asbury Seminary, uh, we named a bunch of values that we wanted to measure in our own church. These are values that we believe are going to be essential for church plants that come out of Trinity in the future. And one of those values was evangelism. Uh, the idea of turning outward, facing outward, and, and inviting people into spaces where they could come to know Jesus. And when we evaluated our own church, when you as a membership helped us, Uh, rank our values in terms of strength, Uh, evangelism was by far the weakest. It was uh, almost a negligible, non-existent thing. And I just want to say to you in that moment, our leadership team, before God said, we're not going to be the kind of church who doesn't care about inviting people into winsome spaces where they could come to know Jesus. And I just want to say we had around 400 people at our Alpha course on Thursday night, many of whom uh, are not Christians who have said they are not believers. And I am so encouraged in my soul because we are creating space and people like you are inviting their friends into those spaces to hear about Jesus in a non-weird, non-judgmental, non-coercive way. So pray for Alpha over the next six weeks. We're going to be going six more weeks. And I also want to celebrate the fact that we had over 80 men and women here yesterday to receive training on our mentoring curriculum. Uh, here at Trinity, we've created a nine-month uh, process, a kind of formation process whereby you can gather with your friends and you can grow into Christ-likeness. And our leaders, pastors, uh, Karen and Jason, actually trained 80 people in our church on how to use this material Y'all, we're seeing God give us space and favor with evangelism, and we're also, I believe, going to be taking major ground in this church and equipping you to grow in your faith with your friends, with people in your community. And I want to celebrate both those things that have happened just in the last couple of days. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 4. Now, when Jesus heard heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." As he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then let's try to wrestle with what this text has to say, what God has to say to us in this passage. God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you uh, for the gospel, the stories about Jesus and about these new friends of his. And I pray, God, by your power that you would help us to see ourselves, to find ourselves in this story, that we would learn about you, Jesus, and we would learn about what you expect and desire for us, and we would learn to see the world the way that you see it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our rhythm here at this church is, uh, when it comes to preaching anyway, is to chart away through the course. Uh, chart a course or a, a pathway through the passage so that you uh, and I can kind of find spots to ponder, places to stop and and think and to pray and to reflect on on our lives and so that 's what we 're going to do today i'm going to i'm going to name four uh places in this passage, four ideas uh with one of them i 'll say a couple of things under it as kind of subheadings, but four really big ideas for you to think about that will help us really discern together. Uh, what the Lord would highlight and how you you might be challenged to grow as you think about your life and you think about Jesus. Number one, the passage tells us that after John's arrest, Jesus moves to Galilee. And the language in the Bible is actually uh, somewhat confusing because what we read and what you may have in front of you is Jesus withdrew to Galilee. It could almost sound like Jesus was kind of like pulling back or hiding and if you don't know a little bit about the difference between Judea, uh, where Nazareth would have been located, where John and, and lived and did his ministry and where Jesus had lived up till this point in Galilee, you won't understand why this really matters. So I'm going to get a little historical and a little nerdy just for a second and then we'll jump back up into like normal land. But you need to know something about these places or else this won't make enough sense. I think there's something for you and me here. In these words, Jesus moves to Galilee. So John the Baptizer, and if you've hung out here at Trinity for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about John the Baptizer. He is uh, the principal figure of of Advent and and Lent, frankly. He kind of gets the two wilderness wandering seasons of the church here. John lived in the woods. Uh, John lived in Judea, uh, near where Jesus had lived before he moved to Galilee. And Judea was wilderness mountain. John would have lived at Sharptop not Atlanta. He would have been a guy that was in the woods calling people to leave the city and to retreat and to step back and to think about their lives. John does really important work. Jesus, when he moved to Galilee, was moving out of a remote place into a city intersection place. Jesus was moving to where people were. He was moving to where the Gentiles were. There's an ancient saying, In the world of Jesus' time that says this, Judea, where John lived and did his work, is on the way to nowhere. Galilee is on the way to everywhere. Jesus, unlike John, moved into the place where the people were. If John would live at Sharp Top, Jesus would live at the Monday Night Garage on Lee Street when we have 400 people gathered for Alpha. Jesus moved into close proximity with curious, open and interested people. At the time that Jesus lived, Galilee was known as a trade route, as a place where people from all over the world of that that region of the world would gather for a fresh start. It was a place known to be open and curious and warm. If John represents a place where people lived in relative isolation, Jesus, after John's arrest, moves to a place where people are wide open and curious and interested in learning and growing and having new ideas. So this has got me to thinking of my own life. Am I curious? Am I open? Am I the kind of person that Jesus would find open and interested in what he would have to say? I believe God wants you to be a Galilean in that sense. Alternatively or secondarily or additionally, I would suggest that you and I have a responsibility to look at our lives and say, who are the people around us who are open and interested and curious I believe that Jesus is always moving toward people who are open, people who are rejecting cynicism, people who want to acknowledge that they have stuff to learn, that God may want to teach them new things. And so I want to ask you this question, are you hard and rigid or are you open and receptive? We have to, I believe, cultivate receptivity. And it's my conviction that Jesus is always moving toward people who are cultivating tenderness and receptivity, vulnerability. So there's an invitation just in the first words. Jesus is always moving toward warm spaces, toward open spaces. And I believe he wants you to be an open space, a warm space, a curious space. So you got to step back and ask some questions about how curious you are, how warm you are, how open you are. Life has a way of hardening us, cooling us. Jesus wants to move toward warm people. And I believe he wants you and me to cultivate that kind of openness where we say, I got stuff to learn. When we adopt that kind of posture, I believe Jesus moves toward us. Also, I believe he wants us to recognize those people in our lives, people who are warm and curious. And this is Jesus' sermon. The second movement in the passage, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, if you've spent time in church, you stop listening when you hear a sentence like that. It's like Charlie Brown's parents repent for the kingdom of God, because we think this means like crying at an altar or going like to a, a Baptist revival. There's nothing wrong with a Baptist revival, but that's what a lot of you imagine. You just think that's what happens at the end of a week. You get worn down and then you start crying and you go to the altar and they're singing the songs and there it happens. Or youth camp, you know, get the kids worked up into a fever frenzy of emotion and then get them all saved, make them all feel terrible about the things they're doing. A lot of us have spent too much time in church because we become inoculated when it comes to sentences like this. We don't even know what Jesus is trying to say. Well, I'm going to tell you in plain language, I'm going to translate to you what Jesus was saying so that you can hear past these words to what Jesus was actually saying. Here's the best way for you to hear that sentence. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You ready? Rethink the direction of your life Because something powerful from God's heart is approaching you. That's Jesus' entire message. Rethink the direction of your life. Because something powerful from the heart of God is approaching you. Is coming toward you. Repent. Metanoia. In the Greek language means to think about your thinking. It means to step back and rethink. Or think again. That's the best way to translate that word from the Greek language. Jesus said, think about your life. Effectively, this is what Jesus said over and over and over again. If you look at your life and the direction of your life is heading you down a road that you ultimately don't want to go down. If your job and your relationships and your engagement with your appetites and the world around you is pushing you toward being the kind of woman you didn't imagine you would be, or the kind of man you didn't hope you would be, and you start to feel cynical and disappointed, Jesus would stay, step back and think about your life. And if you're going down the wrong road, the most progressive thing you can do is to turn around and make an about face and head in a new direction. That's what repentance is about. It doesn't have to be wildly, dramatically emotional. It can be. I believe God wants us to be sensitive, tender, even grieve when we realize we've gone down the wrong road. But when Jesus says repent, what he's saying is if you don't think the direction is the right direction, go in a different direction. And that requires moral courage on your part. It requires a kind of choice to say I'm going to turn and go in a new direction. But if Jesus just left it that way, it would be the kind of prescription that we get with a lot of religious people today, Um, because it's a no repent is kind of no language. It's like, if you're not going in the right road, then just say no to that road and go down a different road. But Jesus doesn't just say no things. He also says, yes, things he says, repent, think about your life. Rethink. If you're off track, go in another direction, backtrack, even then he says, for the kingdom of heaven is near or is moving toward you. And the word kingdom of heaven simply means the reign and rule of God, the culture of God, the utopia of God. The Jews would say the shalom of God, the peace of God is approaching. It is near. Jesus says something good's coming toward you. God wants to move toward you. God wants to enter your Galilee. Jesus wants to move into your neighborhood and bring good things to you. Change the direction of your life. So if you want goodness, it's time to step back and think about your life. That sentence, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, I believe is an invitation for us to be thoughtful and to anticipate that God's good kingdom means God's culture, God's kindness, God's power, God's ethos, God's utopia is moving toward us and wants to infect the darkness of our lives, including our systems and our world around us. So you say no so that you have the space to say yes And that's what the Christian life's all about. I got to learn to say no so that I have room for the big yes that God wants me to say for the good thing that's coming. I don't know about you, but there are seasons in my life where I've wondered or had a sense that something was coming toward me, that something, um, maybe something good or big like change was approaching. My wife and I are in a season right now to where we're, we're sensing that changes in our life, that they're coming, but we don't know what all of them are. We don't know what they look like, but we're starting to anticipate. And I believe that one of the reasons why God wants you to be a reflective person is so that when those changes start to come, when God begins to bring to bear the good thing that he wants to bring in your life, you're ready for it. So I'm really, I'm kind of scared of trains. I don't want to be run over by a train. You know, it's like a car could run over your foot if a train runs over you. Like it's not... It's not a blessing, as they say. So my wife and I, um, we we and Karen doesn't know this story, so she's gonna she's gonna learn something today. So yesterday, Joe and I, the dog, we we went to the Beltline like we always do. Um, she was here training people, and we go for a walk. And, and a train had stopped right on the railroad tracks. And to get to the Beltline where I live, you have to cross the railroad tracks. So we look, you know, both ways, and I'm like, it's not moving. So we go under the train. Because I couldn't carry my 90-pound dog over the, I couldn't do it, I promise. So, and the train was just there, and I was like, all right, this train's just, you know. So we go for a long walk, and we come back, and the dang thing is still there, sitting still. I'm like, man, this train's sitting here for like an hour. So what do we do? We go under it. While we're under it, it starts moving. And thank God, you know, it started moving slowly, because we just, you know, had to get... And we didn't get killed. And I, and, and and if, if we had, it might, it was a toss up as to who she would be. They would be more sad to lose the dog and and me. And we made it through and it got me thinking, you never know when things in your life are going to start moving. And I was like struck by it, like kind of compelled by this idea yesterday. I was like, you just never know things that things seem stuck. And then all of a sudden they're not stuck. And the stakes are really high when things like trains start moving. And and you've got trains in your life. You've got things that God wants to start moving. Are you the kind of person that could handle it if God gave you real remarkable favor? Or are you gonna be just like stuck in motion, thinking things are always gonna stay like they are? When Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, what he was saying is, is things from God are gonna start moving toward you and you have to be in alignment with that. Otherwise, you're gonna get caught flat-footed. If you're going against the grain, you're going to get splinters. And as I think about repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, I start to think about my relationships. And I think, where am I getting splinters in the way I relate to people? Where am I going against the grain rather than with it? When I think about my appetites, I think, where am I going against the grain? Where are there friction points and splinter points that are uncomfortable? God wants us to begin to align ourselves with his way so that we're moving in the right direction. And we're nimble when change comes. Because I'm telling you, God wants to bring good things toward you. God wants to bring more of his culture, his life to bear in your life in ways that will actually make a difference. You and me, we've got to be the kinds of people who are thoughtful and ready for that. And that requires your participation. That requires your assent. So Jesus moves into Galilee. What does he do? He starts walking around the beach. He doesn't stay in his house. He doesn't build a church. You know, Jesus never, never told that he built a church. Um, He didn't build buildings and say like, I'm going to hang out here and get my altar set just right. And maybe they'll come. He's walking around the beach. And what happens? He encounters two sets of brothers in this passage, Andrew and Peter, James and John. We don't know if those two sets of brothers know one another, probably, but they weren't as close to one another as they were to the two sets of brothers. Brothers are close. And then maybe fellow fishermen say hey to each other on the dock. And the third movement in this passage is really important. If we choose, when we choose to follow Jesus, we have to actually make impactful decisions. We will ultimately experience a cost when it comes to saying yes to God. So Jesus moves into the neighborhood. He moves into their Galilee, a warm and curious space. And he looks at these two people and he says, come and follow me. First thing I wanna say about this. When we follow Jesus, That will always and inevitably impact our relationships. Andrew and Peter and James and John were now a new community. People who are really close are now invited to be with people who are not as close. If you say yes to Jesus, it will inevitably impact your relational landscape. Landscape. You don't get to just do it by yourself and you don't get to just do it with the favorite people that you've always wanted to be with. God ultimately enfolds communities together of young people and old people, married people and single people, men and women, kids, grown-ups, people who have this kind of education and cultural experience and people who have that kind, people who vote this way, people who vote that way. And the question we all have to answer throughout our lives is, are we willing to be enfolded into something that goes beyond simple homogenous friendship groups? In the coming weeks, we're going to be launching neighborhood groups at this church. And we're going to try to get you to gather in your geographical part of town. And we're hoping that young and old and married and single and male and female will get together and we'll all learn from each other. Because we want you to form new relationships. We want you to move beyond um, simple homogeny. Well, I'm young married, so I need to only hang out with young married. Or I'm single, so I only need to hang out with single people. Or I'm old, so I only need to hang out with old people. We need each other. And Jesus, from the very beginning, started to put people together and say, are you willing to be formed into a new family? The second thing that that following Jesus involves is us being willing to allow Jesus to impact our vocation or our work. And when I say the word vocation, I don't mean the thing for which you are paid. I mean like the purpose of your life using your gifts and skills. It's my conviction that when Jesus called these two fishermen groups together and says, from now on, I'm going to make you fish for men and women. What he was saying to them is I want you to care about people who don't know me. And what he was saying, and this is really important for us. I want you to use your skills, your abilities, and your talents and I want you to allow me to shape them, mold them, and bend them for the kingdom of God. From the time I was five years old, I've been a persuader of people. I remember a math teacher once telling me, you need to go into math. You'll, 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 you can make money going into math. And I was like, I'm going to go into talking. That's going to be my job. <laughs> and I was, I was in seventh grade. God uses the natural thing that I have experienced and he bent it and he he molded it so that I would do it for the kingdom of God. You may be a person who's really good with numbers. You may be a person who's really good with hospitality. God wants to take that natural gift or that skill you've cultivated and form it and bend it so that it's used for the kingdom of God. How are you being leveraged for a greater purpose? That's the question I believe the Lord wants us to have. He wants you and me to be fishers of men. He wants us to care about people who don't know him. And he wants us to use our skills and our gifts and our talents for something bigger than just a paycheck. And I believe that means you need to know how you're wired. And what you're good at and how you're gifted and the skills that you possess and he doesn't want you to be mealy-mouthed and weird about that stuff acting like you have nothing to bring to the table because if you won't admit how you're wired and what you're good at then God won't be able to actually get your attention enough to leverage it for something bigger I think all y'all should volunteer for kids ministry every one of you in the church I mean our kids are like gremlins like you get them wet and they multiply it's crazy down there We need your help, but we don't think that should be the extent of your volunteering. We've got to find out how we're useful at work and in our neighborhoods, like how God is going to use those skills for something bigger, for something more comprehensive than just checking a box. The Lord wants to make you a fisher of men and women. He also wants to take what you know and use it. What would your abilities look like if they got saved? I once knew a worship guy who was a total heathen musician. And he said, when I got saved, my guitar got saved with me. And rather than think, well, I got to go be a missionary. He said, I'm going to play music and I'm going to see what happens. What would it look like if your abilities, if you're uh, the gifts inside you that animate you, hospitality, administration, helping, serving, persuading, organizing, strategizing, what would it look like if those gifts got saved? Not just you, not just your soul, but the whole thing. I believe we would be people who would be increasingly leveraged, winsome. We would be people who are increasingly effective because we're going to see the good thing of God moving toward us and toward people around us. Jesus called these people and he said, follow me. And when we follow, it affects our relationships and it affects our gifts, our work. Here's the last thing. They got to watch Jesus. They got to see Jesus at work. Here's what it actually says. Jesus went throughout Galilee. He went throughout this warm, curious place where people were open to him. He didn't go to places where everybody hated his guts. He went to places where people were warm. And this is what he did. He taught in the church, in the synagogues. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. And he brought healing and restoration. Jesus wants to bring instruction, good news, and healing. And I would be so bold as to say he wants to use you to do it. He wants you to be the kind of person who wakes up every morning and says, what kind of adventure could we go on today? How would you use me today? How could my life be different? And I just want to ask you this question. How would your life be different if you lived as if you expected that Jesus would do good things in and around you every single day? This is why I wake up and pray, God, Help me see what's going on around me. Make me aware. Make me a participant. These new friends got to follow Jesus and see him instruct, encourage, and restore. And I would believe and be so bold as to say God wants to use you to instruct, encourage, and restore. He wants to you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But we have to actually know that we're with him. Otherwise, we think we're doing all that stuff on our own. And one of the great things about the Gospels is the disciples were never, ever, ever on their own. Jesus was with them. And I think he's with you too. And this is where we have to break faith out of our heads. This is not just about your head, what you believe, what you know, what you think. God wants to actually push it into your whole life. And I think that's a lot more fun than just thinking about things all the time. Have you ever heard that saying, dance with the one that brought you? I believe the Lord wants to begin to redeem the things that you have brought to the story of your life that God has given you so that you can actually be used in ways that feel really natural. Um, and so find out what those things are and then begin to think, how could I leverage those things for a greater kingdom purpose? You'll come alive when that happens. You'll begin to wake up and experience God's life and power. If you're able to stand up together. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.